Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. You have once again reached DNF, the best F1 podcast on the internet and the only one that has both Spencer Hall and Jessica Smetana. Jessica, you were ill last week. You are feeling better. Yes. Yes. We unfortunately missed out, though, on the window to do a Spanish Grand Prix race review. So we're going to have a little like sampling platter of of topics in today's show, I think. Yes. And starting with a we we play fake to you again. This is an F1 podcast. We're going to talk about racing to start the show, but not the kind of racing you expect. No. Ooh. An F1 race might go 90 minutes to two and a half hours. There is a time limit. There is also a time limit on this race that we are going to discuss but it's far meatier and substantial. That would be Le Mans 24 hours at Le Mans race. Uh, one of my favorite races, just in automotive sports period in motorsports, just because of, I love the way you watch a 24 hour race. And I love the way that you watch in particular Le Mans because um, this year, typically you uh, sort of nap. You kind of yeah. come in and out, right? You kind of like have to. Yeah, there's I mean, the drivers do too. So yeah. The, the actual participants in the race are doing what you do at home, which is you 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 pay attention, you don't pay attention. You he come does. back, you see how things are going. Um, but I love that it is long enough that wacky things happen no matter what you're trying to do. A driver had their foot run over in their garage. Um, it's not that, funny. Um, it's as long as nobody's seriously hurt. The driver right. finished the race. In it this is case, shocking, so. which is why I, I laughed if you're watching this on video. Yes. Like, no, I've been, by the way, I say this as a fellow having foot run over person by car. What? That's no, that's happened. That happened in high school. Somebody just ran over my foot. Now, no way. I was, I was unhurt. But like you, you look at it and you go, did that just really happen to the car? <laughs> Who ran over your foot? Was this an enemy, a friend, or just a random person? Rando, Rando in the parking lot, like wow. after school, a bunch of high schoolers trying to hightail it out of it. Was it like someone's mom? Like it, no, that would be funnier, but no, it was just a random <laughs> like, oh, dude, hey, sorry, and you're like, I think my foot's fine. You what know, kind you of can car do that was when you're it? 16. You're yeah. like, yeah, um, I believe it was a minivan. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know, insult injury. Really, it didn't catch me full. Right. But it did sort of, you know, I was enough of a speed bump that I noticed it running over my foot. That's the kind of thing that sort of happens Uh, at one point at one team, the Garage 56 team, which we will discuss, Mm -hmm. had to take the car off the track and essentially rebuild the driveline. Part of the transmission had failed. They just had to rebuild it. But that's cool. You got 24 hours, man. You got time. Nothing but time. You got nothing but time. Go ahead. Get out there. Pit crew members, take a nap. Around 3.30 in the morning your time, somebody's going to put a camera on you while you're drooling on your fire suit. That's just, that's part of Le Mans grandeur. 
I want to hear your take on the whole spectacle that was Garage 56. So what what were your takeaways from all of that? That it's the coolest? <laughs> like, that's so cool that Alanis King was tweeting. Uh, that's DNF guest Alanis King and uh, motorsports podcaster and author was tweeting that everybody couldn't, uh, everybody was kept awake by the alarm clock that was the NASCAR Hendrick Motorsports 56 machine, a ZL1 Cam- Camaro modified to hell to uh hit race to hit uh to hit top speed at this track not competing with inspect by the way like the they they were not competing for actual points racing points or anything else they were just there as an exhibition but if you saw it it was hard not to fall in love with the big car because every four la- every four seconds or so it would you know wake up everybody <laughs> passing it with just the full-throated sound of american glory Yeah, the car 56 was hard not to love, especially because every image of it you saw was the big car. Yeah. It was the big car. There were these little sleek Le Mans cars all within the race rules. Right. All like optimized to to last mm-hmm. long, to be yep. fuel efficient, to not break down. Mm-hmm. And then this monstrosity. Yes. And then a rolling refrigerator. Monstrosity. A brick, yeah. A brick on wheels. Just tear-assing around one of motorsports most legendary circuits with a guy named jimmy behind the wheel not you know not not antonio giovanazzi but but (laughs) jimmy although it's funny to mention that one of the drivers in the three-man team for garage 56 was jensen button and when jensen button drove this car for the first time this was the description uh, by Jimmy Johnson when he was asked how Jensen Button reacted. He said he, his eyes were so big. He's like, how can it have so much power and so little <laughs> grip? Oh, my man has never driven on the road in Wisconsin in the winter before. Oh, flawless. So, yes, a, a, a rousing success. Uh, a, a movement so powerful, by the way, that the announcers were doing the TikTok memes about the car on air during the race. As if... People were making them on TikTok. They were watching them on their phones and then spinning them back out on air as they made them. Being like saying like, hey, they've done this many kilometers, whatever those are. Because that was <laughs> that was the gag. I love that. My favorite uh my favorite part of the coverage was LeBron doing the start your motors in French with w- mm-hmm. one of the worst French accents I've ever heard. And then that has the most wins of all outright. Everyone roasting him on Twitter for him having just the most American-sounding French accent. I respect respect the hell out of him for trying. Like all things, LeBron, I nothing but nothing but respect. But it was very funny to listen to. That's hard. That's like I think if you had to do that in any language. It's difficult. Oh, a, 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 a Quebecois hockey player roasted my French accent on the Levitard show a week ago. So, like, this is not, I'm, this is, you know, glass windows or glass house, whatever the expression mm. is. But I mean, you know what? Don't see that. Just be like, yeah, but you have a Quebecois accent. Right. Exactly. It's different. It's, Come on. But, you know, it's French different. is hard, and that's why it's always funny. There were two actual F1 notes out of this, F1 relevant notes at least. One was congratulations to Antonio Giovinazzi, who won for Ferrari. The best lad, I think. They, exactly. Like like le, le meilleur homme, 
I, I'm not sure. My French is absolutely terrible. Roast away. But Antonio, jo- Antonio Giovinazzi, um, in his own words, hadn't been on podium since Spa 2016. What, what, what were you trying to say? What were you trying to say? Uh, the best man, I oh. think is what I said. You Okay, I was. I thought you were going for like Monsieur Le Maire, like from Le Maire. That's how. That's how bad it was. That's yeah. impressive. Le Mans. Um, uh, somebody who did much I do better. Love saying Le Mans. Le Mans. Le Mans. I drove uh, past Le Mans once in France, and I was like, "Oh, there's Le Mans," and that was it. It's not it that. Stop. I mean, it's not. It's not that big, right? Like, it's not. It's a little town. It's like in between Paris and like the Loire Valley, which is where they make a lot of the wine. Yeah. Um, but when the race isn't going on, I'm not sure what is around i'm not uh, sure what's there so you're saying it's in the talladega region of france <laughs> exactly it's, it's like a little bit in, in a no land no man's land yeah. no mall's land no oh fuck sorry no that was good don't regret it um but ferrari winning here is interesting for two reasons because one this is ferrari as in ferrari motorsport managed by ferrari a team coming together to effectively pursue a goal and achieve said goal, mm-hmm. which Ferrari did on an individual level. That's fascinating because Antonio Giovinazzi, who did have a Formula One uh, seat at one point, then fell down and uh, has not won any kind of race since 2016. He did. He did not good in Formula E. I believe he was yeah. the only driver to not score points in the year that he raced in Formula E. Yeah, had a rough run, and for him to come back at this level and in this tier of racing and when he cried he was very emotional just a, a beautiful sight for antonio giovinazzi just a reminder we, we sometimes say you know hey man that guy was like p18 these are good drivers and yeah they're good they're good drivers in pretty much anything and it's good to see that after one driver did not make it they found success somewhere else and genuinely seemed to appreciate it the other thing that was an example on the team level, and that I think was uh, an interesting thing to say, was this: that when Ferrari, when they were, when they were asked about this, when uh, the, the quote was, "This victory that Ant- Antonello Coletta uh, and the Amato Ferrari and the entire team, from our mechanics to drivers, have achieved in such challenging conditions." Because of the 24-hour duration, unpredictable mm-hmm. weather, impressive strength of our competitors. This is the important part. Serves as an example for us all. That's John Elkan, the chairman of Ferrari. Huh. Serves as an example to us all. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, point, point. Leclerc, by the way, wants to race for race at Le Mans at one point in his career. There's, like, a, there's a bunch of F1 guys, not that many, but a bunch that have tried it, right? Like Fernando mm-hmm. Alonso has raced in Le Mans. Yep. At, at one point, I mean, he's he's what forty one. He's done a lot of stuff. Yeah. Charles is young. I'm sure he'll he'll get a crack at it at one point. You don't want that. You don't want to crack at it too early. You no. Don't want, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to have to take a crack at it. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't want it to be the only option you've got. <laughs> Although that can turn out well, as we saw with Giovinazzi, struggled in F one, but then brought home an emotional win in Le Mans. I love this race. I'm going to try to attend it next year. Ooh, uh, it just exciting. Seems, it just seems like a great time. I've done the 24-hour at Daytona race, and, and if it's not 38 degrees there in Florida with the, the wind off the ocean cutting you in half, it can be very fun. Hmm. Le Spencer at Le Mans, 2024. Le Spencer at Le Mans. Perhaps we'll do a DNF. 
Can we? Oh, can we go back in time to the when they used to do this the Le Mans start and you had to like sprint to your car across the <laughs> track because that's one of the my like favorite sports things that we don't do because it's incredibly dangerous. But it's, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, do a little YouTube search. It's fun to watch. That's a big category. It's cool things we don't do yeah. in motorsports anymore because it's crazily dangerous. It's insane. It's just insane, and no one should do it. Yeah. Yeah. Refueling an F one car mid race. Yeah. Something that happened really re- until really yeah. recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also have a, some random business to cover. Um, uh, the F one game dropped. I just wanted to say, hey man, listen, congrats to Yuki Yuki Sonoda. Ended up getting the biggest bump from year to year in terms of his driver rating. He got an 83. If you think drivers and other athletes and other sports don't pay attention to these things, that's a lie. They all know their ratings and they all have beef about it. Max Verstappen somehow only a 94, which... That's... Are we grading on a curve? Like... Who's the hundred then, or is there? Is he just the highest, and there's no nothing above ninety four? Yeah, this may be like a French grading scale where they were like, "No one shall achieve perfection." <laughs> there are no one hundreds. There are no one hundreds. Ninety four is the best. Yeah. So con- interesting. Con- congrats to Yuki on that. Yeah. Verstappen somehow went down a point after uh, after winning a title, which you know that's that's a tough crowd, man. <laughs> that's a tough crowd. Do it in a Ferrari. It's a Dugat's method of blaming people for not achieving things that are out of their control. Yeah. Um, in another thing, I'm going to give you an option on this. Mm. I'm going to ask, do you want to take an option on a Shakira Lewis Hamilton story? Or do, okay. we, or do we bypass it? I'm incredibly intrigued by it. Although I did mention this at work at uh, on the Levitard show the other day. And I've heard that Shakira may also be dating Jimmy Butler. So I don't know. I, I, what, what, what are we to make of this, Spencer? Well, if she is dating Lewis Hamilton, good for him and good for her. I mm-hmm. like people being happy. I would say this, Lewis Hamilton. We love Hamilton, love. I, it, both of you need to treat each other well. It's it's a mutual thing if you're going to have a good relationship. Both of it needs to be a 50-50 exchange. I would say this, Lewis, keep your nose clean and keep it very, very honest because, remember, Shakira mm. is a detective. Yes. Detective Shakira. She detective will, Shakira. She will find out things. As... Well, she may be the one dating Jimmy Butler. Now I need to get to the bottom of this. I yeah. don't know. We'll, now, we'll we'll get an answer by next episode. Let me give you this. My ideal outcome is that I hope she's dating both of them and is happier than she's ever been in her life. <laughs> me too. I gotta love Shakira. But she has been spotted in, in multiple F1 garages, right? Like she was at the Miami race and then she was at the the uh, Spanish race. Yes. Am, I, am I right about that? I mean, yes. when the, where there's smoke, right? Yes. I Again, I hope ideal outcome, Shakira dating both Lewis Hamilton and Jimmy <laughs> Butler and is thrilled with the whole situation and everyone's cool with it. And Fernando Alonso. Let's and, throw, sure. throw him in there because what, the T-Swift rumors. I'm on board with whatever makes Shakira happy, right? I would just say that also I hope that she doesn't mind bulldog slobber because that's part mm. of the package with Lewis, you know, that's true. and I know Lewis has got to have the nicest stuff in the world because he's a man of taste and wealth. Two things that don't always overlap, but he also <laughs> has a bulldog. And I also know what that means, regardless of how nice the couch is slobber. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Well, Spencer, um, we should probably talk about the next Formula One race on the calendar, which mm-hmm. is. This upcoming weekend in Montreal. Um, this is a fun race. This was really fun last year. What happened last year? 
Uh, among other things, uh, we had Yuki come straight out of the pit lane into the wall. <laughs> so, uh, Max and that's did, why he got a six point higher score on that, the F1 that is, video. They saw game. that they were just impressed. They with were his very wall work. impressed. Yeah, uh, this was this is also kind of a sneaky chaotic track, is the way I like to put it, because we're not under any illusions that anyone but Max Verstappen is going to win in this car in this year. Ever. Um, no matter yeah. what the race is, it would require a serious mechanical failure for him to not at least be in the top two at the end of the race, if not in, outright in the lead. However, everything back of one is intriguing because, because we have several different plot lines all converging at once. You have Mercedes coming off of continued improvement following their upgrades and mm -hmm. their um performance in the spanish grand prix you also have aston martin upgrades en route and when those are deployed aston and mercedes are going to be locked in a tight battle for that two slot right? so yes pro probably the biggest thing that happened at the spanish grand prix that we did not get to discuss because i was sick was that mercedes looked really fast and aston martin be uh lost their place in the constructors cup to mercedes like mercedes is now the second fastest car probably, but Aston Martin thinks that they will have solved some of their floor issues this weekend with the upgrade that they're getting. So now there may be a, a battle for second between these two teams because Mercedes, now they have side pods and everything is better. Everything's better. It's all fixed. <laughs> so they not... fixed it. They were like, let's put a little thing here and a little thing there and we're good. It turns out, as since I've now read Adrian Newey's Book, how to build a car that's what? all you need i, I mean, read that too oh my god what a coincidence we, we should, should talk, talk about, about it we should talk about okay. it right after this let's do that uh but we did not get to discuss that um we also didn't get discussed aston martin having kind of a you know eh day relative to their uh performance in 2023 at the circuit to catalonia so they're looking to rebound as well mclaren mclaren continuing to improve mm. continuing to improve this is and that's, of course, intriguing enough to get McLaren fans being like, we're back, we're back, we never left. Like, they're, McLaren fans are currently living out the, like, meme, right? Like, we're back, it's so over, right? Oh, now we're <laughs> back, baby. Like, now it's totally over. We never left. Like, they're they're living this out in real time. But there is, there is like, I think, real evidence, real like, to show a trend of, you know, continual improvement for the team. So are we saying that there's going to be a thrilling uh Canadian GP this weekend where number one is going to be up for grabs. Absolutely no. not. No, but the midfield could be pretty good. Yeah. Midfield midfield could be solid too. And um, we also get to see, I think too, yes, Red Bull is the king, but Red Bull is not just Max Verstappen. And we get to see if Jekyll Perez can rebound to the kind of form that he had in the first couple of races in the season where he looked to be as much of a contender as Max Verstappen. All right, mm. not as much as, but you know, like he's right there. I'm holding close. my fingers like this Very far close. apart, podcast listeners, this close. Right, not like 60 points behind. Not like, 60 points You know, behind. five points behind, five like points. before Monaco. Ten, yeah, yeah. A, ri a rival and not just a partner, right? Mm. We get to see if Checo Perez is going to be swallowed up by all of that chaos in the sort of like two to eight range or whether he's going to be able to sort of float above it and finish one, two with Verstappen. We've done a good enough job selling everybody on the potential intrigue in the Canadian GP. I think we have, and we will have another episode reviewing that next week. But for the rest of this episode, we did a fair amount of homework 
preparing for what is, I think, our inaugural book club episode of DNF. Mm -hmm. So, Spencer, you already mentioned it. We both read the book How to Build a Car by Adrian Newey, uh, written in 2017. And going to be honest, for a book about engineering and car mechanics, pretty good. I was I was intrigued. I was invested. I finished the entire thing. How many pages was it? It was like 500 pages. Yeah, well, I mean, I read it. I, I read the digital edition. So okay. by reading it on Kindle, it was you know 500 pages or so. I'm not sure what it actually it's is. It's long. It was like 80 chapters. It is. It is a fascinating book to me. Like I, I like an actual like. I had to interrupt myself to perform the basic task of my day to finish them in order to in order to say okay hey i, I really just want to finish this thing because it's mm -hmm. very interesting to me adrian newey if you don't know him adrian newey is the chief technical officer at red bull racing he is a formula one veteran and legend at this point um he is an engineer par excellence uh somebody who if i had to describe like his technical gift he sees air like mm -hmm. he sees like he's one of these guys who he reminds me of kelly johnson the guy who designed the sr 71 the p38 lightning and a bunch of other extremely fast planes for their time he did it because people were like i swear he can see air mm, like interesting. An, an aerodynamic genius yeah Adrian Newey. Yeah, I think he he has an interesting story in that I always admire people who, when they're like eight years old, know exactly what they want to do for the rest of their life, and are like, yeah, like I want to work in Formula One. I'm gonna I'm gonna design cars, and he kind of did. Like he kind of just knew exactly what he wanted, and then he like went and did it and became the best at it. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that one thing that was incredibly impressive about him was kind of his mentality and mindset about formula one like he had he's worked through several eras of formula one where someone has had a competitive competitive advantage and then the, every team tries to copy it and then mm -hmm. the fia bans it and then someone else finds one and so, maybe it's him and then someone else tries to copy it like he gets how the sport is he gets how like the sausage is made. Like he he doesn't he wasn't like whining in the book about the suspension of you know the double diffuser any of these like things that he yeah. invented right. Like he just is like yeah okay we can't do this anymore let's come up with something else and that's been like the last thirty years of his career which I find really interesting. Also interesting in that he's a person who one kind of invented his own job. Yeah, <laughs> you know as an aerodynamicist like right. as somebody who goes well. I'm going to do all of the things. He's he's somebody who I think he wasn't a great student. In fact, no. at times he was a really... He, he like said he got expelled from school or one of his schools, right? Right, right. I or, feel like all smart people get expelled from school at one point. Uh, yes, yes. Or but not a, all people that get expelled from school are smart. That's... <laughs> That's how the, that's how the, the, the bubbles overlap. Like some people who get expelled from school just eventually go to jail. Like that does happen, you right? Know? And we hope they get better, right? But but if if you're smart, you might you probably have been expelled from school. Yeah, he got expelled from school when he um when he cracked the windows at the the church that was yeah. on campus. Yeah, that'll happen by by cranking up the sound on a massive stereo system because he was super into like progressive rock right 
So that that happened. He also went to kind school. Kind of weird with, guy. Yeah. yeah, he went to school with Jeremy Clarkson, right? Yeah. Like in case his life wasn't already top gear enough. Like he's known Jeremy Clarkson for 50 plus years. Nui, like I want I was interested. Like, what were the things that you as an F1 fan, you're reading this book, which is about this man, mm-hmm. um, talking about his life and how inextricable it is from Formula One. What were the yeah. parts where what were the parts where you said, Oh man, I didn't know that, and I am a smarter, more knowledgeable fan after reading this oh man oh there was there was so there's so much like it is a meaty book and it and Mm -hmm. it's technical but it's not like overly technical like you don't really need to be an uh, an engineer to like fully understand it he he explains things very simply but i think honestly as a formula one fan reading it and understanding the better the different eras of formula one Mm -hmm. was the best part because he's been around for you know he's worked in formula one for pretty much most of the modern era of f1 like he worked at williams when active suspension was uh, the big thing that before it had gotten banned i believe and that was a a major turning point f1 you mentioned already like aerodynamics Mm -hmm. like that wasn't something that f1 engineers were really studying when he was coming up through school which feels strange right like doesn't that seem like a, a thing that you just assume or that was happening. Yeah, or that that you would have a wind tunnel facility as part of yeah. the racing team, which was not the case. There were only so many wind there tunnels. There were two, you... apparently. And like yeah. they, one of the things that one of the anecdotes from the book is that they were testing things in the wing, wind tunnel and then they were putting the car on the track and they were like, something's not adding up. And instead of, yeah. you know, they were like trying to fix the car and all these things. And then he was like, maybe it's the wind tunnel. And sure enough, like something was wrong yeah. with the wind tunnel because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a built to that team specifications and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he was big into the development and like the perfection of that technology too, um, designing a new one. But I mean, I just, I, I thought that him, uh, he's worked throughout several different eras and iterations of F1 um, and to still like want to work in F1 after all yeah. of that is fascinating to me. I thought the so he he designed the car that Ayrton Senna died in during the race at Imola in 1994. Mm-hmm. I thought that getting his perspective on that whole chapter of Formula One uh, was really interesting. Didn't realize he was on trial for manslaughter three mm-hmm. separate times in Italian courts for that. So that was really eye-opening as well um but then he moved to mclaren which is another iconic f1 team ron dennis seems like a weird guy a lot of weird anecdotes about him loves the color gray used to rip the pant pockets off the back of people's pants Mm -hmm. apparently yeah to celebrate yeah yeah weird weird thing to do yeah um and then of course he went to red bull which is like the you know modern f1 team that started from almost nothing and now has won several championships because of him and his work so i don't know i thought like you know for a a guy that's not that old he has like lived an f1 life (laughs) yeah i i enjoyed how much the book taught me about the present moment yeah And, and by that i mean It's fascinating because he, by reading this book, it helped me understand how Mercedes could miss on their car so badly. Yeah. Because he talks about what it's like to miss on a car that tests well in the tunnel and that you only have X number of months to create. Then you put it on the track and it's not responding Mm -hmm. and it's not working. And ultimately, if you don't have... It also, reading this book was fascinating because there is all the technical stuff in it, which is like touch. 
it's all very, very light touch, very deftly explained. It could be more technical, but it's not. And mm-hmm. you kind of understand a good chunk of it. I'm not saying you're going to get all of it. There mm-hmm. are some parts where your eyes glaze over and you're like, I don't know about the wind over that strut and I don't really care. But it was enough to make the experience of watching a race richer because you start to understand, oh, that's how they miss so badly on this. That's what this means when they talk about this. So that's all fascinating to me. But ultimately, like the personal element mm-hmm. of the narrative is fascinating because people still matter so much in this sport. Yeah, The cars are literally built around them. The instances of, of this are all over the place talking about, well, we had to put this back there because this driver was so tall. Nigel Mansell, the, the great yeah. um, F1 90s legend, uh, the British driver, talking about how they had to build the car extra wide for his ass because mm-hmm. he had a very wide ass. It's don't lie. Yeah, he had he had wide hips, so they Shout had in order to, to pack again. like in, in order to pack like stacked ass Nigel Mansell <laughs> in there and put his little thick self. They had to make they had to make it wider, and that affected everything. Just realizing how bespoke these cars are yeah. at every point for the driver to the point where Adrian Newey, who is kind of a garagisti in the purest sense of the word in that he really will just make the part because he knows how to do that at one point he makes a gear shift a special gear shift for a driver overnight he says that makes him like one of the few guys to ever make a part on his own car uh as an f1 designer i love that kind of stuff i love that the people still matter that he's an engineer so he had to figure out how it happened but that personally Senna's death the only one in any car he'd ever designed was devastating to him mm-hmm. to the point where he still doesn't like going to Imola yeah and where he pays homage homage to to the turn and he goes to the spot every time he's there but it still affects him personally I loved his candor when talking about dealing with people and, and acknowledging that there are large personalities, but that these large personalities, they do things for the sport and for Nui at points, but that Nui also is the problem that personally he acknowledges that he's selfish and super overcommitted to his work, which committed to the failure of two marriages. So yeah. that's, and of, of being, you know, a crap husband and at times <laughs> an absentee father. That's, that's very much the kind of candor that you want in this kind of thing. And it also makes you realize that, that this is a sport where those personalities matter why did mclaren not work out well it's probably because he and the dude at mclaren did not get along that well why did williams racing fail well there's a front seat account of how that happened because the williams brothers do some very stupid and frankly egotistical things in that mistake themselves for the talent on the team yeah well i mean there's like a ton of ton of follow-up points to that credit to him for not making himself sound like awesome the whole the whole time because like especially when you mentioned like his personal life like he he was married had two kids they got divorced and then he was married again had two more kids and then they got divorced and like all throughout all of it was like yeah like home life was really hard i'm traveling a lot and i barely see my family like it, Mm -hmm. it you know i was kind of a shitty shitty husband and i I imagine that that would be easy to omit from a autobiography or yeah. just to blame someone else on. But um, I also thought like when to your point about Mercedes failing on a car, he has a philosophy that I imagine each engineer has a little bit of a different kind of philosophy on. But his is that if he's going to change, if he's going to decide to make something a certain way, mm-hmm. he's going to f- and he and he believes that it's because 
because of a good reason, like he really believes in whatever thing he's making or changing, he's going to follow that until it's bitter end if it doesn't work right away because he believes he did it for the right reason. So if they've tweaked something and it doesn't work, instead of giving up and going back, if he thinks that his reasoning was sound in doing it, like he will keep tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it until it works. And I think that that is probably not the same for every team and every engineer. And of course, like cost comes into effect. There's tons of pressure. All of the times Mm -hmm. that he had a car, there were a couple times he had cars that just didn't work. I'm sure there is immense pressure on the team, on the engineers, especially on the drivers to figure it out. Right. But you know, you have to, go back to the drawing board and keep working and trying because to scrap it all and start from scratch is yeah. going in is not the way that he wants to do it. Right. So yeah. I thought that that was interesting insight into just like his engineering philosophy. Yeah. A guy who's won what? 13 titles. Yeah. 13 constructors. Yeah. And he drove at Le Mans. Knew he's famous for crashing. That's actually like his thing. <laughs> he crashed uh, a lot. <laughs> he crashed a lot. and uh, Including in like street cars. Like he got into like several mm-hmm. car accidents randomly, including yeah. one outside of Daytona. Disa- disastrous ones too. Ones yeah. that could have ended his life. Um, what, famous for, for crashing motorcycles in the paddock when he came in. That happened as well. Once did donuts on Christian Horner's lawn after a couple of drinks at... Um, I believe uh, a celebration party and someone else's new Ferrari, California. Mm. That's um, that's the. Wait, kind did of... you did you catch the part where he said that the Porsche 911 is like just a shit car? Okay, okay. So he and I <laughs> kind of agree on this. The Porsche 911 okay. is a car that is designed to be very intolerant of mistakes. Mm. You know, I think Clarkson's line on it was. It is a car that does not suffer fools, and I am a fool. And that, <laughs> and that preceded an episode of Top Gear where Clarkson crashed a new 911 nice. into uh, the barriers at the track. Um, I kind of agree with him because I don't think... I mean, the Porsche 911 is the car that if a celebrity is killed in a racing incident, a street racing incident, or a casual driving incident, that's my number one suspect. Mm. And I'm backed up, but it's the car that killed Paul Walker. Um they're hard to control. Damn. And I think I think Nui's great like his great objection to the 911 is that a car should be able you, like you should be able to control it. Mhm. Right? Like yeah. it should be it should be driver friendly. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. cuz that's, you know, it should be fast. And to me that's like that's why I've never kind of been big on him cuz I was like, yeah, this this thing Yes, it's for the ultimate driver. No, if you wanted to design a car that was for the ultimate driver, it would help the driver. Not to the extent <laughs> not to the extent of taking you out of the equation, but like I will say this to somebody who has driven some some hypercars and supercars for fun and for work. And the the best description I can give is this. If you drive a McLaren, which I've driven, a McLaren, he would adore a McLaren because you can point it. Oh, you can mm. just point a McLaren and go, we're going there. And it's almost like the car reads your mind. It is so precise and so clean at every turn. And that's not what a 911 is. So I get it. I get it. Wow. My, like, Confirmation. The, you and my, Adrian Newey, the br- most brilliant minds of our time. Obviously, Porsche 911s can suck one. So Yeah. There's going to be like some angry Porsche person in my mind. Like, you don't get it. You no, I don't. don't. <laughs> I don't. Right? That's like when people are like, why don't you like Tom Brady? You're like, I just don't. 
Uh, like, oh, he's really good at his I mean, job. Yeah. so many reasons. So? <laughs> well, we're, we're united in that. I don't have a strong opinion on Porsche 911s having never driven one, but the Tom Brady thing I can get behind. So It's it's kind of like that. You're like, is he's it a He's the Tom car? Brady of, of cars. No. Mm. Tom Brady is the Porsche 911 of quarterbacks. I could go I could go with that. Yeah. Mm. Highly esteemed. Certainly good at certainly good finicky. at certain things. Uh, a little stiff. Finic- a little stiff, and also, and also, like ultimately, it comes down to preference, right? Yep. yep. Like that's hey, we talk about like in F one, we talk about all the time. You're like, okay, well, what is the best car? You're like, well, it's Max Verstappen. And they go, well, wait, who's your favorite driver? You're like, well, it's not Verstappen. <laughs> Obviously, there's something else going on right. here. You're watching for a <laughs> right. different reason, right? Right. Because otherwise, we would just all be fans of Big Orange. We would yep. just be like wearing Holland shirts. And Red Bull stuff, and we would only be rooting for Verstappen. But it'd be a boring world if we did that. It would be a boring world if there weren't like oddball obsessives like Adrian Newey who take that and turn it into, you know, consistent greatness. This book ends, by the way, in 2017 when Red Bull is is getting housed by. Oh, and he hates it. Like he, the end of the book, he's like, he's basically like, screw Mercedes, they suck. Like yeah. he almost takes like a little turn in everything he said until that point about like understanding the FIA and mm-hmm. some of the things that they've done. He does, he does not. He obviously does not come across as a fan of the FIA and their decision making, and explicitly calls out Max Mosley for like, mm-hmm. you know, keeping things good for Ferrari for so long to keep yes. them in the sport. Um, so that's like a little bit of, of candor. But yeah, at the end, he's just like, yeah, well, Mercedes, they should not be doing this and this. But then, of course, we know that like Mercedes reign has now f- essentially ended in the 2021 season and Red Bull is back at the top and he is back at Red Bull after taking a little bit of like a break from the F1 team, I believe. So um, I did think that that was a funny end for the book. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I will also say like he uh, joined Red Bull like kind of at the beginning and explained the origins and like the I guess philosophies behind that the team and it did make me really kind of have an, a new appreciation for Red Bull as a Formula One upstart as kind of like the new flashy kids on the block that weren't taken seriously that I haven't gotten into the sport in the last like three years don't really have or didn't really have before that. So I can't give him credit for that. Yeah, it's it's a very I think for for those of you, if you're new to the sport, it, you should read this book anyway. It's breezy. It's easy. Um, if the technical passages get a bit much for you, skip to the next page. It's fine. He keeps it moving. There's not a whole lot of stick to this. It's very mm-hmm. flowy. But you should read it, if only, to get a new respect for Red Bull because they are complete upstart, brand new startup program. Dietrich Mateschitz deserves a lot of credit for that because he is demanding from the jump about how good they're going to be. And maybe an underwritten portion of the story is I would love to hear Christian Horner's angle on it because Horner is also there from the start and so much of his personality and his character is built into that team. You kind of get an idea of why they couldn't lose Mm -hmm. because of the people involved. There was a great committed owner who was very demanding and obsessed with speed. There was a quirky but one-of-a-kind engineer who was the same. And then there was Christian Horner on top of it. And then, and then then you do something like put Sebastian Vettel into the mix. Mm-hmm. You do think, yeah, you, you, you just end up with like nothing but extraordinary personalities committed to like creating high end racing technology and then putting it on the track. It's, it's a cool story. If you, if you hate Red Bull, you'll at least be sympathetic to 
attacking this very difficult mission and progressing to a high level so very quickly but i just want the i just want the appendix i just want the updates yeah. for like the last six years seven years because the entire story got only more interesting from that point i think he, so too because yeah. he entered what like a fourth or a fifth renaissance right like he's had yeah. four or five different periods uh, of of technical dominance and we're currently in the middle of the la of the latest one yeah i also like if you're maybe not the biggest fan of of reading things uh there's enough silly stuff sprinkled in and and britishism sprinkled in that i think it makes it uh worthwhile for example he called the cheerleaders at the indy 500 pom-pom girls mm -hmm. uh, at the start of the book which i really appreciated there's a lot of george harrison content apparently damon hill was friends with george harrison and george so a massive racing fan george harrison would go to f1 races and hang out all the time and adrian newey i guess had a long drunken conversation with him for like an hour one night before he died but then was so drunk that he didn't remember any of it the next day which i thought was unfortunate but kind of hilarious he also apparently george harrison wrote a formula one song and never released it because he didn't want to get sued because like bernie eccleston's name was like dropped in it and mm -hmm. and like other racers so i would like to hear the george harrison f1 song i would, I would. uh i know it exists out there i no one's gonna sue him now if the estate puts it out like can we just Hear the F1 song. Drop drop the F1 track. That's what we want to hear. Um, but there's uh, there's like there's a lot of good stuff in there. He drove a scooter into the bay at Monaco. He was hammered once. He yes. the, the, there was an anecdote like towards the end where he was like on a at a party with some woman and woke up with like a traffic cone in his hotel that they then yes. brought on their jet to the next race with them. Like there's a lot of just silly. If you picture Adrian Newey, a 55 year old bald engine british engineer looks like a looks like an engineer looks like an engineer hammered doing drunk things with christian horner you yes. will not be disappointed there's plenty of of good visuals there there's a lot of good there's a lot of good uh, gleeful drunken vehicle destruction we're not saying drive drunk no these are under under controlled circumstances because these are engineers yeah they know what they're doing oh 100 percent. he's probably um, measuring out like the jaeger bomb uh, <laughs> fluid ounces to the exact amount that will get him buzzed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by the way, I love that. I love his, it, this is the last <laughs> note I have on this. I love his accounts of Finnish drivers. That's how I know what he's talking about. It's, it's, like, it's like he'd go through these strategic things with Mika Hakkinen, who's one of my favorite drivers of all time. Oh, yeah. Because um, I have a weakness for Finnish drivers anyway, and Mika is the king and is a rally god. But Mika, they would go through these detailed descriptions of how we're going to win and what the strategy might be get to the end, ask Mika, and he go, well, we're just going to win. We're just going to drive. <laughs> That's all I'm going to do is just drive. Yep, I'm good. He'd just leave the meeting. He'd be like, I've, I've, I've heard enough. <laughs> yes, I've got it. I will drive. I, I thought, probably will win. <laughs> well, my, my last note on the book was kind of the way it ended was a little bit of like an ex existential question about Formula One and like the direction that it is. it, it started heading in towards um, making F1 cars to test technology that could be used by road cars and to kind of reflect the technology of road cars, which I think Adrian Newey kind of had a problem with to an extent. And I think is interesting because the current uh, CEO of F1, Stefano Domenicali, has said recently that F1 will never go all electric. Um, there's, of course, like an all electric like Formula E series already, but the cars right now are using regular gasoline and, and hope to be using like fully synthetic gasoline at one point, but yeah. they don't want to go fully electric. So there's like been some interesting 
arguments and I think F1 wants to position itself as like a sustainable sports league that is doing things that advanced technology that people actually use and not just like a plaything for very wealthy not, people. Yeah, not just Vroom, right? Right, like, yeah. right. And it seems like this is obviously something that has been on the minds of uh, F1 people for at least the last decade, maybe longer. So I'm wondering what you thought of his take on all of that and where that kind of leaves F1. He's, he's got one of, uh, first of all, I, I kind of had an answer to one of those. The hybrid technology that was employed at Le Mans this weekend, I don't know if you heard what the engines sound like when they take off. It's kind of awesome because mm -hmm. the low because the low RPMs, the low gears are all electric. So you hear, and then at one point, that gigantic V8 hits and takes over at full throttle because it's spun up and it goes, and it sounds like Dark Star from Top Gun. <laughs> Maverick, right? <laughs> like it's the coolest sounding thing, and I'm like, if that's what F1 has to be for a while before they go full electric, I'm totally on board with that. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible noise. Like it raised the hair on my arms when I heard it. So like, that's fine. You know, you could even hear it over the roar of the Garage 56 Camaro <laughs> ZL1. That's how impressive it was. But I, there's another note in there that I think was interesting, especially given Newey's role in history that. Uh, racing history and in racing tragedy that that he said that you know we really sort of have eliminated the gladiator element mm -hmm. and by that i mean think he means that you know we've eliminated too much risk mm -hmm. from formula one and that was a curious point to me from an engineering perspective but i get it because like it or not one element that draws people to this is the notion of danger and uh, that there is real risk out there and i don't want to say that I'm immune to that. Like I like the fact that people are traveling that quickly and it with that kind of precision is compelling, but they're traveling that quickly because they're daring to do it. My favorite moment this season was Max Verstappen's qualifying lap at Monaco. Mm -hmm. And it was because he was hanging on by a thread mm -hmm. and because he had it at the edge. So, I mean, I get the concern. I don't think... In the end, I will always side with safety because I don't want to watch someone die. Yeah. I don't want to be party to that as a viewer, right? But the idea of it not being at the far edge of control, I, I get that because that's where that's where the thrill is for me. It, like the competition for me is less electric if they are not pressing it to the limit. And at the limit, that's where danger lives. That's where people lose control of cars. So. And I say this, by the way, also as a NASCAR fan who um, has largely seen the danger go out of the sport, and it's okay. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's you know, I, I don't, the races for me, they've built those cars into tanks where, you know, it is very, very difficult for somebody to get grievously injured because there's so much armor between you, the track, and the other elements surrounding the track, you know. But I will also say this, the Indy 500 featured one of the most terrifying moments of like the past couple of years of racing when that tire went flying and i was like i don't know where it's gonna end up right right i, I don't know where it's gonna end up. so like that to me i don't have a finish point on that it was a, yeah. it was a compelling start for me in thinking about how i relate to the danger that is both so attractive and so repellent within this sport and which still exists it's yeah. still there i think it's i think it's impossible for the danger to ever be fully 
absent, but I also think that the way that the sport and the business of the sport is run now, mm-hmm. they have way more of a vested interest in keeping drivers and spectators safe than they ever have. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm with you. Whether if, if you are someone who thinks like, ah, like they, they care too much about safety. I, I know those people exist. I'm not friends with any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have bad news for you. Like Rolex yeah. doesn't want one of the drivers to get hurt uh next to one of their giant advertisements at the track at monaco so i think that's definitely something that has been a positive and something that certainly if this book has like you could tell the story of f1 i think through the eyes of adrian newey over the past 40 years and that is certainly one major element of it that um he talks a lot about so yeah i was good good book club choice spencer what's what's next Hey, listen, we'll, we'll line it up. We'll figure out what's next. Uh, maybe even announce it ahead of time. Ooh, Ooh planning. People can read with us. Planning. We could, you could, we could pick a book. You know, by the way, if you do want to suggest that, you can, uh, you can tweet at ADSBS. You can tweet at me. You can also tweet at Jessica, but like, you know, I, I'll take the bother if you want me to. <laughs> you can tweet at me. Anyone okay. You, out you, there. you can also tweet at, at I Jessica. love book suggestions. I already read the Elvis Presley one. So maybe Spencer should read that if he hasn't yet. So send your book recommendations to me and Spencer on Twitter. I already read the mechanic, the McLaren one. So maybe Spencer, if you haven't read that one, we can we can do that next. But I'm excited uh, for the Canadian Grand Prix. We'll be back next week with a regular race review. Yes, an actual regular race review. On time. Unless one of us gets sick again. No promises. No, no, it's not happening. It's not happening. We have engineered this. We are Adrian Newey tight with our planning. <laughs> We are going to make it. It will be absolutely stellar. And hopefully we'll have plenty of the good kind of chaos to talk about coming out of Montreal. Uh, Jessica, one last note. I have a I have a personal note from one of the people at Le Mans who saw the size of NASCAR pit Ooh. crew members. Thought it'd be a good time to good thing to close on. Uh, because the actual description given of them relative to European pit crews was fuck me, they are monsters. Yeah. <laughs> God bless America. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.